Welcome to episode number nine of Making It, a podcast about making things with your bare hands, hosted by the Jimmy DiResta, Bob Plague from I Like to Make Stuff, and myself, David Picciuto, the Drunken Woodworker. And before we kick this off, if you listen to the show through iTunes, we'd like to ask you to please rate and review us as you see fit, as this helps us tremendously. With that being said, let's get started by talking about what we're working on. Jimmy. Uh, I just finished editing my chisel restoration video, which is going to be on Make Magazine's uh, YouTube channel. And then it will also be on my channel this weekend because I'm traveling to Arizona to work at a Dickel event. So I won't be able to put up a new video on Sunday or a uniquely new video. So uh, the same video will appear on Make's channel and will appear on my channel of a chisel restoration. And uh, just still ongoing with the uh, Don Julio truck stuff that I talked about. Bob, what are you working on? I'm finishing up a video. Well, not finishing. I'm working on a video right now for um, build of my 3D printer. So my 3D printer kit came in last week, and I spent last week putting it together. And it was actually pretty easy to put together, but there's a lot of little, you know, just details. So decided to make a build video for that so people can see that it's not terribly unrealistic to put together a 3D printer on your own. And uh, hopefully I'll have that out on Monday. So what about you, David? I'm right now, I'm not working on anything, but tomorrow morning, I'm going to work on a picture frame sled. Uh, I got this, I got this really cool, I'm from Toledo, Ohio, and I got this really cool map from 1890 of Toledo, and our area is not even on the map yet, and so it's, uh, I want to build a picture frame for this. You can, you can build picture frames without a table saw sled, but I want to do one again. I had a sled from my old table saw, but the runners don't line up with my new table saw compared to my old table saw. So I, I figured, hey, why not make a new one, show everybody how to do it, and um, build a picture frame from there. So I'm going to get started on that tomorrow morning. Jimmy. I want to talk a little bit about the topic tonight. I'm going to introduce the topic for the podcast is things that intimidate us and scare us. <laughs> we could be talking about tools Machines, concepts, people. Hmm. Yeah. I was wondering if this was going to go purely in the tool area or if this is going to go a little bit deeper. <laughs> no, well, I mean, there, there are ideas, there are materials, methods that scare us, uh, things that we don't want to look stupid doing so we don't do them. We just hmm. avoid them altogether. I could talk about a couple of those. Oh, yeah. Um, if we want to talk about machines, I mean, we you know we all know that we've been injured one way or another. But uh, lately, uh, in my latest video, I use my milling machine, and uh, whenever I turn that thing on, it it whizzes up. It sounds like a helicopter starting, and you could just feel like the concrete floor vibrating a little bit. And Ooh. I just know to keep my hands away from the moving parts. What, what what's a milling machine? A milling machine is a 3,000-pound chunk of steel that has several moving axes. So you could mount a chunk of steel on it, and you could literally XYZ axis. We're all familiar with that from our small electric milling machines that we use to cut wood, you know, our CNC machines. Um, so it's a, it's a human-controlled CNC machine because if you want to cut in one direction, you literally dial that X, Y, or Z axis. And uh, in the Witchblade 2, I make that little mount that goes between the uh, the Leatherman and the knife blade. And uh, I in that video, I used half of it to make it. And then the second half, I did it in the shop. But the milling machine is just like this powerful, giant chunk of steel that cuts steel. It and, seems like uh, it would be a really unforgiving tool. 
I mean, I know it, most most tools are, yeah. but that one seems. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I every time I start that up, I'm like, be in the moment. Remember what you're using. Don't stick your fingers in the blade, and don't put your clothes near the moving parts. It's only one moving part. It honestly. sounds scary, so just, but as someone who's never used a machine like that, what is the scariest part about it? Getting tangled up in the spinning motor, you know, the spinning shaft. There's a quill. It's it, basically the quill is what comes down when you pull the lever on a drill press, and that quill spins at various speeds. You could adjust the speed. And if you have a big mill, an end mill on it, like something, say, like an inch in diameter, it's just all the more grabby to like grab a piece of your clothing. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. Uh, so whenever I, I've used it a few times, you've seen me use it in, uh, for instance, in the, in the anvil restoration video, I'm using a flying cutter, which is basically a big piece of steel that sticks out of it at an angle. And the, and the whole diameter of that spinning cutter makes the cutting marks that you see on top of like machine steel. And that is really one of the most dangerous things because it's just literally like if you stuck a screwdriver sideways in a drill and pulled the trigger, you know, so that's really dangerous. So <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> so, I mean, just, you know, kind of relating it to like my most recent events, it's, it's using the milling machine this week in, in five degree weather. I just had to really be careful and, you know, be, that's the most important thing whenever you use a tool is just to be aware and be conscious. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's a lot of it. There's also just like the, I mean, we're going to keep going on tools. There's a certain amount of like stuff that you just cannot control. You know, like for me, one of the things on my list was the lathe. And I've mentioned that before. Like, yeah. I just don't have the experience there, so I'm not comfortable with it. And it scares me. But I think the biggest thing about it that scares me is not anything I can control. I think it's that a piece of wood that is spinning at a high rate will have a fault in it or, you know, like some crazy piece of grain that's just like loosens up all of a sudden and then it just comes off, you know, and that, that's something you can't plan for. You can wear a face shield, I guess, and maybe like body armor, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) there's, there's certain stuff like that, that no matter how careful you are, it's like just, there's just an inherent danger to it. If I may add to that, I got a new lathe about a year ago and I knew nothing about it. And like you, I was completely scared. And I, so I had my buddy Sean come over and he showed me everything and um, to have somebody show you in person gives you a little bit more confidence than watching somebody on YouTube for sure. Um, but I started working with small little pieces and then wearing the whole face mask and shield and everything. And you just, I, I just started to build a little bit of confidence using it. I'm like, I know like if I'm starting off with something small, if it exploded, I'm going to be okay. I I have the, the right. face mask on and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, working on something small and then building your way up as you build confidence is a, is a great way. The most the scariest thing about using an actual wooden lathe is is if you're trying to mill a piece of square wood down. It's those initial, you know, corners chunking off and that's why it's it, it's best to try and get rid of them either on the table saw or in one of my recent videos, you see me uh, milling square pieces. I, I use the uh, draw knife to just cut those down because that's what will really grab the chisel, those like chunks. And also sometimes before you get to like the, the final circle, uh, close to the circle where, where you're just continuously cutting wood and you're not hitting those four corners, you'll throw a big chunk of wood off. You know, if the wood has a, has a fissure in it or something or, or check, it'll chip the whole thing off. So it's important to get rid of those corners before you start. That, that's uh, probably part of my issue with it because that's only about as far as I've been with it. You know, I've only used it 
twice maybe. And it's yeah. always been starting with a really, you know, big square <laughs> type of thing. So I guess, yeah. I guess that hesitation could, makes sense. You could take that piece of wood and just take it to the band. Cause I mean, you know, cutting angles on a table saw is also dangerous too. I mean, you know, needless to say, everything's dangerous. It's just a matter of your comfort level and, yeah. and you know, obviously how careful you're being. Um, but you could bandsaw off those corners. That's what I do, yeah. It's a little bit safer. I mean, of course, we all cut angles on the table saw, but um, to bandsaw them off because it doesn't need to be perfect. You just want to basically remove the right. majority of the material till you get down to that circle in the core of where you're trying to cut. So uh, the, uh, the most important thing about a lathe too, which is even – uh, is to listen to it when you hear like that that uh, the end I can't the, the center when that end center or the uh, the end stock the center point on the end stock sometimes becomes loose or the wood wears out you noticed on uh, one of my videos I put crazy glue and that's to make those because it was a soft wood mm. if you're spinning a soft wood on the lathe and you hear it start to vibrate yank the plug out turn the switch off or start to dial in the end stock. If you could dial the end stock in a little bit, you hear that vibration go away. Mm. But when that vibration starts and it starts like getting louder, you know, run away, unplug it, shut it off, or tighten it. I mean, if you have, it's a great tip. <laughs> if you have the uh, the wherewithal, the experience to instantly tighten it, you'll hear that vibration go away. Because hmm. um, the minute you start hearing vibration, it gets instantly worse. So the minute you hear it, it's like, oh, oh we got something going, and then it's just going to blow apart. So you got to make sure you tighten it right away. So if you guys are ever using the lathe and you hear that vibration, it's most often the wood that's in the center point is just starting to wear out and you got to get it a little bit tighter. I would hmm. imagine as you're tightening that, you also have to make sure that it's not cracking on the end there because I would have, yeah. I've never had it happen, but I, I think about it all the time as I'm tightening that end stock. Mike, is this actually splitting the wood and could mm. this make it dangerous? So. Well, you just got to check. And, you know, literally, like, I mean, like an eighth of a turn might be enough to stop the vibration. Mm -hmm. And it's the tail stock. I'm going to get yelled at for not saying it. Just the, <laughs> the tail stock and the, yes. the, and the, the, uh, the center and the tail stock. I have a hard time remembering these definitions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm definitely not an expert on the lathe. I just, I know... I, I know what I'm supposed to do with each piece, but I don't know what each piece is called. Um, like the the banjo. Why is the banjo called a banjo? That makes no sense to me. No. Uh, you're going to laugh. This is going to be hilarious to everybody listening. What is the banjo besides the musical instrument as far as the lathe goes? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's what you rest your tool on. Correct? Oh, is it? Yes. That was called I a always, tool rest. I thought it was a chisel perch. Oh, man. I, <laughs> let's make up a new name for it right now. It's anything. It can be anything. I'm Googling right now. Lathe. Banjo. Of course, I'm me, still me and Dave, <laughs> me and Dave Welder in my shop, we call it the Chisel Perch, and we jokingly say Chisel Perch is the name of a rock band in Brooklyn. Okay. Chisel Perch is playing tonight. <laughs> okay, so uh, the banjo is the the part of the lathe that holds the tool rest. So as you, you know, the the banjo has uh -huh. that that knob you can turn where you can move it at any angle and in and out. That's what yeah. holds the tool rest. All right, I so, never knew that. Yeah, I've been. These things forever. I never knew that. Wow, you learned something new. Lathe enthusiasts are going to hate this episode for sure. <laughs> lathe, as as I like to call everybody on a subject, the lathe nerds. <laughs> lathe nerds unite, <laughs> define everything, get mad at everybody for not defining things, but don't ever make anything and don't ever make a video. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do do an episode where we just rant and relieve all our stresses. I can't imagine people would enjoy that. Right? 
<laughs> All right, David. What about you? What's, what's something you're um, one of, of? Speaking of tools, one of my biggest fears is a router mounted in a router table. Just scares the crap out of me. I've never had any serious issues. I have had maybe the very first time I used a router and a router fence. I think I put uh, I was feeding the piece in the wrong side and it shot Shoots. it out. Yeah, like like a like a pitching baseball machine that they use in practice. Um, so I learned not to do that real quick. Um, but now I know what side to feed the piece in. Like when you're doing pattern routing on there, you can still catch end grain or kind of wavy grain and yeah. that piece will catch and throw it from your hands. And I've had that happen a couple of times and it's just, it's super scary. Yeah. And my fingers weren't even close, but it's, it's enough to like, make you step back and think this is a really powerful machine. And Jimmy and I were discussing earlier uh, before we hit the record button that uh, the, the, I used to use like, and forgive me, I'm, I might not be using the right terms again, but the, the two fluted bits, the straight bits. And mm. uh, somebody tipped me off like you should use the spiral bits because they don't catch as much. And yeah. um, so that's what I've been using. They're really expensive. It's like an $80 bit, but you get a much cleaner cut and mm -hmm. it's much safer. And I think, Jimmy, you had some insight on why that bit works better. Oh, well, because it's like, uh, it's the same principle as like, if you're using a hand plane, like a small low angle block plane, for instance, and you hit burl, if you're going straight into it, that burl or that, that gnarly grain is going to chip right out. But if you hit it at like a, a 45 degree angle, it tends to razor blade it. It sort of shaves it better. And it's exactly the same principle that's happening in those bits. A straight bit will just hit that burl and pull it right out. A fluted bit will hit it from the top and slowly push it down. So it's really cutting it from a different angle. It's not cutting directly into it and pulling it out. It's shaving it off. And that's why those, those, uh, those curved bits work so nicely. I mean, they work. I use them in the CNC machine, too. They work really beautifully. Nice. Mm. nice. Router mounted in a router table. My worst fear in the shop. Well, you want to, you, you reminded me of a funny story. I, I had to cut like two inch thick walnut. I basically made a pattern out of quarter inch wood. And then I was going to use a pattern bit to cut two inch thick walnut. And I went and I bought this like $150 bit. It's like an inch and a half long, about an inch wide with a huge bearing on the top. And it's a pattern bit for cutting really thick wood. And I was so nervous to turn it on because I thought it was just going to pull the router out of my hand. And then of course, <laughs> you know, ruin a hundred and something dollar. It was like $120 bit. So what I did was I took the plate off the router and I have quarter inch thick plexiglass and I made a plate. I took the plate off and I used the same pole pattern, but instead of it being a round thing, I made it like a really long one, kind of like the ones that you see in Rockler they used to make circles with, mm -hmm. you know, like the circle. So, and then, so I basically made a new router plate with a really long extension on it. And on top of it, I put like two or three of my steel weights in my shop. So that that hung out onto the wood. That stood, so in case I lost control of this thing, it wasn't going to go flying. Hmm. It would just like pull away from the wood where it wasn't cutting anymore, and and not fly out of my hands. And so that I still use that from time to time when I got to use like a really heavy pattern bit, or I don't want to potentially lose control of the router. I screw on this. It's about twenty four inches long, and I just stack weights on it. So now the router is just—I just have to literally muscle it around. Yeah. But that way, I won't lose control of it. So once you actually started it, what was your expectation? Right? Like, did it actually try to pull away from you? Well, the bit was so expensive and so sharp, <laughs> it didn't pull away from me. But it, had I not really been paying attention, or if I try to climb cut with it, you guys understand the difference between climb cut. 
when you when you said you stuck the wood in the wrong direction, you can't climb cut on a routed table because you'll just it'll just yank out of your hands. Um, so if I try to climb cut with a router bit that big, it would definitely pull out of my hands. So you got to be real careful, and you know just make sure every one of your joints from your chest up is all tense and ready to ready to rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really really where I was at. So uh, just having that sled with the weights on it really, really is, was a little invention that came out. I mean, it's probably not an invention, but it was, you know, a, a good safety measure that I took that day. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, speaking of like the, you know, you said all your joints like tensing up. <clears throat> One of the other things on my list was, this seems really obvious, <laughs> but losing a hand is oh, that's a something <laughs> I am, I am, I am deathly afraid. And, and it's not, not getting, not losing a finger. I mean, that, that's no fun. I can imagine. I could tell you about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Jimmy, I'm sure can attest that that's no fun <laughs> at all. But but losing a hand matters to me in a way that I don't know that it matters. Well, of course, it matters to everybody. It matters to me because I'm a musician. I play piano since I was a kid, play guitar. Um, I'm a programmer. I have to type as a job. <laughs> I like to make things, and I have to use my hand. You know, So if I were to lose one of my hands fully, it would affect you know, 90% of my life. And so that's different than like losing a finger. Yeah, I could work around a finger. I can still type, play guitar without a finger. But that's one thing that is just, man, the thought of that just scares me to death. And that's part of the motivation. Like I recently got you guys talked me into getting a saw stop. And regardless of all the stuff around that and the, you know, whatever discussion there is about saw stop as a brand, I feel a whole lot better uh, having that in my shop and knowing that, you know, it minimizes the possibility of damage. Doesn't get rid of it totally, but it it minimizes that. You know, I know I'm not going to run my wrist through the table saw and lose a hand. <laughs> yeah, I think a saw stop is a high quality piece of equipment. I've used it. It's I've used it in one of my videos. Uh, I mean, my friend owns it. I borrowed it at his shop in Louisville, and I think it's a fantastic machine. I can't wait till I get myself one. It's well built. I have one myself, and uh, when I bought a table saw, I'm like, I want to buy a table saw that is either going to last the rest of my life or at least for a good chunk of my life. And there's that, that safety feature, which it has the flesh sensing technology. If it, if it senses flesh, a brake comes up, slams up against a blade and throws a blade below the table. All happens in a, in a fraction of a second. There's that. But um, I mean, I'm not affiliated with saw stop at all, but the table saw is really well built. It's heavy. It's, yeah. it's very precise. It's, it's well machined. It's, it's a good, it's, it's a really, really good machine. And, and I highly recommend a saw stop to anybody. I was going to say a lot of table saw injuries are not just directly hands running into the blade. It's where you get kickback, where the board is pinching between the blade and the fence and comes back and it either hits you or you try to catch it. And during that catching phase, you run your hand into the blade. So right. um, having a saw stop doesn't eliminate all that, but it definitely makes that a lot, lot safer. I, I will say, since I had a Grizzly before that, a really old, ratty Grizzly. Grizzly is a great brand, but the table saw that I had was just really old and not good. And I still take the same exact approach 
to a cut as I do now, as I did before. Like I think about it. As long as you approach every cut and you think about what could happen, you're probably going to be okay. If if you are prepared for that board to kick back, you're going to do things to prevent that. You're going to have downward pressure or you're going to be out of the way of the cut. Um, so just don't think that you're going to get a saw stop and then not worry and and you know go at it willy-nilly. You still need to approach that machine like it could do some damage, which it can. Yeah. Absolutely. And if anybody knows anybody at Sawstop and you'd like to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> My email address is David at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what you guys, I mean, I think every, it's commonly known that I cut my pinky off on the table saw and it, it was reattached. I cut about 90% through. It was just kind of a chunk of skin on the inside of my palm that didn't get cut. And uh, it was just, I attributed to, not being in the present moment. I was thinking about several things and the piece of wood I was adjusting the saw blade to caught the blade, shot through, hit me in the forearm while I was adjusting the saw blade up. And then my hand that was holding the wood ran across the blade and I cut, I cut down the side of my palm and my pinky. And, um, you know, it was just pure stupidity. And it was just me sort of being a hotshot thinking I didn't need to turn the saw off to adjust it into the wood. And uh, unfortunately... You know, I got bit by the tiger is what I say. I mean, I've owned the table saw now for over 20 years and it's still the same saw I use every day. And I do plan on getting a, a saw stop soon. And uh, I really would love to. Um, but one thing that scares me the most that I see everybody do on a table saw is they cut a piece of wood as if they're using a chop saw. They set the fence up, say, 10 inches away from the blade and then they want to cut off a piece of wood that's only five inches wide. So... The rule of thumb in my shop is anything that passes between the blade and the fence has to be longer front to back than it is between the fence and the thing. And I see people all the time on YouTube and other places taking a piece of wood and passing it through. Like, let's say they have a two by four and they set the the fence up maybe at 20 inches and then they're passing that two by four at every 20 inches. That is one of the the most dangerous things to do on a table saw because that piece of wood will now bind between the fence and the blade. There's, there's there's not enough contact with the fence to to stabilize that cut. Yeah, the rule of the rule of thumb that that we always say is, don't I won't even cut a square if it's a perfect square. That scares me. It always has to be longer front to back than it is between the fence and the blade. And I, I mean, I think that's just a general rule of thumb. Go ahead, and, Dave. And 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 exactly, there's just. That's when you need uh, a really good miter fence or a, a sled. I use a sled myself because it just makes the process sled. a lot easier. Yeah, and the sled and it really eliminates so much danger if you use a sled on a table saw. Mm-hmm. When it comes to doing a lot of cuts. And speaking of that, I since I made my table saw sled, I haven't used my chop saw at all. I just use my table saw for both ripping and cutting. So um, that sled mm-hmm. is a safety feature, and it can eliminate another tool that you may not need. So. Hmm. Yeah, actually, somebody wrote me, uh, one, of my, one of my fans wrote me a note, and he said, I was watching you do some tube, and I did it, and I cut my fingers on the table saw blade. Oh, And, oh, and I, I felt so horrible, and we, we wrote back and forth. I said, what exactly did you do? And we went back and forth, and he didn't do what I did. He wasn't using, he wasn't using a, he was trying to make box joints without a sled. He was making box joints, like, between the thing and the fence. I don't, oh. I, he, what he explained, he wasn't exactly what I did. And uh, mm. what happened was a piece of wood shot out of the way and his hand touched the top of the blade. Okay. So we should he talk about, like, when you get a new tool, you should really know how to use that tool. I mean, beyond yeah. just what's in that owner's manual. Like, 
if you have a friend who's done this before, YouTube's a great place. YouTube is also a great place to learn the wrong thing too. But yeah, well, let's say that we had a long conversation. We went back and forth uh, uh, through the evening. He's from Mexico. And, and I said, what exactly did you do? And he told me, and we went back and forth. I said, you didn't do what I did. I said, if you go back and watch the video, he goes, oh, well, yeah, I never made myself a sled. I was like, so, I mean, he wasn't blaming me, but he was just saying like, hey, look, I got hurt doing your thing. Like he was sort of asking me what he did wrong. And I said, you, you weren't using a sled that was in the two slides on the table. He was, he was using the fence. So what happened was it binded and turned mm. sideways. And he, so if he had a table saw sled or made a box joint sled that ran the two rails in his table saw, the whole unit wouldn't have binded and his, wouldn't have shot out of the way, leaving the space for his hand to touch the blade. And uh, so going back to your point, David, how, how, uh, how safe a table saw sled can make the table saw if used correctly. Yeah. That was one of the things about my old uh, saw that I had before the saw stop was that it, it was a, you know, one of the fold up type of saws. So you could fold it up, roll it somewhere and, and it had all these nice little features for taking it places and making it portable, but it only had one fixed slot on one yeah. side of the blade. And I just, no. I mean, as soon as I got that thing home the first time I was like, I don't understand what they were thinking when they did this. Cause it just, I don't know. I mean, if you're using a, a, you know, a miter fence and you're just wanting to cut off like an end of something, I guess that makes sense, but you couldn't make an effective sled with that thing. Yeah. And that, that was one of the big reasons that I wanted to get rid of that thing. Well, some guys make sleds that go over the whole table. So the rails are the two outer edges of the table, you know, depending upon how smooth oh, they are. I did that. And, uh, cause that was my workaround for it, but it just never quite, I don't yeah. know, just never quite no. worked. Nothing beats those two machine slots in the top of either the saw stop or the delta saw, the unisaw. You know, the, those things really are, uh, you know, they were thought through. My, I have the unisaw from, you know, the 40s and one from the 70s. And th- those machine slots are exactly the same <laughs> diameter. It's amazing that, you know, they had that forethought when they first made those units to keep that standard. Mm. So, I mean, a lot of other brands, I'm pretty sure saw stop brand is the same width and diameter as the ones made from Delta Unisaw. I'm just guessing. Yeah. But they I, look like they are. I, I will say that the two miter slots in my old Grizzly don't line up with my the two miter slots in my oh, saw no. stop because my old sleds did not work. So I had to make new sleds. Oh, right. But oh, right as a woodworkers, we love making jigs. So yeah, you got another another project. Another project, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anybody else got any big tools that are super scary? Mm. You know, I just got a um I'm sorry. I just got a new drill press. My my previous I, drill presses aren't really scary, right? But I my previous drill press was a benchtop one. And it's uh I outgrew it. I needed more travel. I needed more strength actually. So I got a big floor standing model and wow, this thing is super powerful. I'm not really scared of it, but I'm like if if a piece of clothing got caught in there or just like if if a big Forstner bit caught in the wood and spun it around like that could do some damage. And, yeah. and so you just, anytime I get a new tool, I just have to step back and, and respect it. Learn what can go wrong before I approach each, each cut. One thing I got a, a new, um, a new drill press. It's been about a year or so, but it was the same kind of thing. It was just ridiculously more powerful than the one I had before. And the thing I found to be able to control it and to not feel like I was just going to have the the piece spin on me, 
was I had to go the RPM, you know, that you can set by the the bands on the top. What I thought I needed there, I had to take it down about half of that and work mm-hmm. up to what I actually needed mm-hmm. because I, it was just too much. You know, it, I mean, there was just too much power there for that thing. And it's a great, uh, you know, great drill press, but I had to kind of work up to what actually I needed to use. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, but a lot of times these drill presses they're made for woodworking and some some metalworking, so that's why they have these mm-hmm. different speeds. And yeah. uh, so you don't need the highest speeds when you're drilling a hole in a piece of wood. One, that's just too much speed. Two, it's you're going to get some burning, and the cutting yeah. tool is not as effective. Well, when you cut metal, it's it's uh, it's typical. Most times you cut metal, you cut slow, okay. and if you're cutting like a hole saw. Like for instance, when you're cutting, uh, like using a hole saw to say, like notch the end of a tube of steel. So like if you're making like welding, if you're like making like a bicycle frame where one tube intersects the other tube, um, you need to slow the the drill press down considerably. I mean, and then Bob talking about sewing the drill press down, it's also something that you need to be extremely careful of because when the drill press is super slow, it's super strong. So right. if you get a piece of clothing or something, it's just going to pull you in slowly. And, you know, unfortunately you know, that's never happened to me. Um, there have been instances where I've had like a, either my bandana or something got caught in it and I just immediately tense up and it just rips away. I mean, it's only happened a couple of times in my life and I've been in the shop since I was a little kid. So, you know, when I was a little kid, this is when these type of things happen. Like if, and it, you know, what's happened sometimes I'm like drilling metal. And it's oily. So I always keep a rag nearby. Mm. And there have been instances where the rag got caught in the drill press. And I just let it go. It's, yeah. I mean, people also complain sometimes in my videos I'm wearing gloves when I'm using the drill press. And I agree that that is not smart. That's just me you know, quickly going from a weld to a drill back and forth. And uh, it's important to take your gloves off when you're using a drill press. Extremely yeah. important. And that's a, that's a good point to make that. You know, it's an inverse proportion of strength to speed. Because the yeah. tor- the torque goes up as the, the speed goes down on those yeah. things. So, is that the same? I guess that that same principle applies like to your milling machine, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, the milling machine is just you know it, it, it's super. Like I said, if you have like a flying cutting head on it, which is like it, it, it appears to be like this big, but when it's spinning, it's that big. And I just made my fingers like an inch, and then like five inches because that flying cutting head's swinging in space like a helicopter blade. So. I literally, I make so sure, like, I don't have a bandana. If there's oil all over, I just make sure the rags are completely away. There was one time I was using the CNC machine, and this is just a CNC machine with a bit the, the, the size of a, a of a skinny pencil diameter. And um, I was wiping oil away, and the bit got sucked into the CNC machine. And I literally just, like, I had to yank it quick, and it pulled a big tuft off the end of the rag, and it was whipping on the end of the milling machine. <laughs> Not the milling machine, the CNC, my shop bot. And I had to slap the thing off. Shopbot's got like a, a panic button where if anything goes wrong, you just instantly slap it and it shuts off. And so, like I said, it's important if you're going to use some of these machines in, in the event that something could go wrong, just either keep your hand near the switch or on the plug and you can just immediately yank the plug out or whatever it is. While I get the stage, I just want to say another extremely dangerous tool that everybody should respect is a handheld circular saw. You know, it's the kind of thing you always see like in a theater shop or something like that. People are always like, oh, go get the circular saw. It's the kind of thing that everybody has access to, but is one of the most dangerous hand tools. And uh, I recently was working upstate and 
my guide swung up and stayed up. It mm. didn't bounce back down. So I literally cut something and I went to put the saw down and it shot across the room because oh, the guard man. didn't close. I took the table, I took that circular saw and I threw it right in the garbage because it wasn't, it wasn't a high quality one. And I got like 10 of them because people give me tools all the time. Uh, you know, they're all like skills or, you know, not the highest quality versions of this, these units, but those things are extremely dangerous. Mm. And uh, you always see guys on roofing crews, they hold the guard up. They like stick a chunk of wood in it to keep the guard up because it gets in their way. But it's, that is one of the most dangerous tools to have lying around. And uh, like I said, people think, oh, it's a saw. Let me just use a saw. You know, I see so many amateurs using them and it really scares me. Mm. Yeah, so funny, some- fu- funny note on that. Like I, when I did my video about the uh, uh, downdraft table, I used, I pulled the guard back on it yep. and, you know, held the front against the table and plunged it down into the table to make mm-hmm. that cut. And I made a point to say that this is something you shouldn't do unless you're comfortable. There was yeah, a comment. I remember that. There was a comment down there that said something like, you've been hanging out with Jimmy Dresta too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not the best, you know, I think I don't get advertisers and stuff. Dave and I would talk cause I'm like just such a wild card. I'm so dangerous <laughs> and I'm not really dangerous. I'm so comfortable using these tools. But when people watch me, you know, they stick their fingers into the table saw blade, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, I mean, that, I, that's I'm just an important, so comfortable doing things. That's, that's an important thing to, to point out, though, is like, you know, we each and we may have already talked about this at some point, but there's an acceptable level of risk that you take on. And that comes with experience, right? And your experience, those years have helped you or caused you to raise that acceptable amount of risk to yourself. Yeah. But that's different for every single person and every single tool. And you know, Absolutely. I mean, people see me using the bands all the time and they're like, oh, my God, you can... When I have like a skip tooth on the bandsaw blade, like a resaw blade, like a four two TPI, like a four TPI, believe me, I have a lot of respect for that blade because that blade will suck you in. It'll grab you and pull you in. Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, those are very dangerous. But when I have like a bimetal blade, a fourteen TPI on there, it'll just, you know, it won't cut to the bone that fast. So I'm not that worried. <laughs> not not and, that fast. <laughs> it'll do it. I I saw a video of Sam Maloof cutting kind of like freestyle these big. Um, I think there were rocker legs on the bandsaw and he kind of swoops them in there and takes the edges off before he yep. does some spinal, like final, like uh spoke shaving. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's how you do that. And so the one time I'm like, I take, I take a board into the bandsaw and I'm going to do this like swooping curving cut whack, and whack it. The, the blade takes the wood and slams it against the table and you have no idea like it doesn't seem like it's spinning that fast, but you have no idea how much force there is until you actually feel the blade catch that wood and slam it against the table. And from there, I'm like, oh yeah, there always needs to be support under the wood. You know, like this video that I saw of Sam Maloof didn't show that it, the wood was actually supported underneath underneath there, or maybe it did, but I just didn't see it. So lesson learned. All right. Well, what about um, non-tool things? Okay. Let's go a little bit deeper. <laughs> we got anything that they're just, I, I can start if you want. I sure. got a good one. All right. So um, one of the things that I'm afraid of, and this is maybe, yeah, I'm afraid of it, is not passing on something to my kids. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to pass on to my kids, but I'm not sure how to pass on curiosity to kids. I'm not sure exactly how to make them like inherently curious about how to do things, how stuff works, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, that's one of the things like that and being compassionate are the two things that I really want my kids to like, I think that has a profound effect on who they are and what they do and how they do stuff. 
And those are two things that I don't really know how to, like there's no formula, you know, for teaching those things to kids. So I'm just kind of doing my best with trying to get them to be curious. Like I, I, you know, I posted a picture a while back on Instagram about, I gave my son some, uh, my seven-year-old, some screwdrivers and an old VCR. And I was like, Hey, take this apart. And he's like, what do you mean? Take it apart. I'm like, take it, take, just take it apart. He's like, well, what if I mess it up? And I said, you cannot mess this up. (laughs) Like you can break anything on it that you want. You can destroy any part of it because it doesn't matter. I just want you to take it apart. And he was just, he didn't get it, you know, (laughs) but he started unscrewing stuff and he was like, Oh, this is fun. And so I think stuff like that may be one way to, Get them kickstart, kickstart. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, sure. It's along. it's okay for you to try to figure things out, and it's okay if you break something along the way, you know, to to figure yeah. it out. But that's something I think is really important, and I'm not really sure how to pass on. Yeah, I don't think you can. You mentioned compassion. I don't think you can. That's something you can teach, but that's something you can show by example. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Just show that you care about people and feelings whether you're a kid or an adult you just pick up on other people around you doing that so yeah i mean my my parents were both very uh uh kind and compassionate people and i remember people i I grew up with a lot of thieves and thugs and guys that got in trouble and went to jail and stuff and i never did any of those things and and people ask me all the time i just said this in my class the other day uh and why did i avoid all that because i remember my dad said to me when he was a kid he said don't embarrass me (laughs) <laughs> and I just remember like, you know, when I think I'm like, okay, we're going to go into this house to buy drugs or whatever. I'm talking like when I'm 16 and the guys are buying marijuana. I'm like, and I know it, where I grew up, if you get caught buying drugs, like everybody gets arrested. The car gets taken away by the police. It was like this drug sting thing in the eighties. And I always like, if they were going to go to go buy marijuana, I would just stay behind because I didn't want to be part of that dragnet. And I always stay behind. And if they were going to go do something wrong, I always just stay back. I'm like, just tell me how it was. And I always heard my dad's voice in my head saying, don't embarrass me. Hmm. So I was always, I mean, talk about things we're afraid of. I was always afraid I was going to get in trouble and embarrass my dad. And, you know, he's very proud of me now. Needless to say, he's, and, you know, he's alive and well. And, and he compliments me constantly. And I, he said his dad told him that. Hmm. Just don't embarrass me. <laughs> and. You know, and then when I see these kids getting arrested and doing like these crazy things, and I'm just like, how do they face their parents? Yeah. Mm. You know? So, Bob, tell your kids that. Yeah, I'll tell them not to embarrass me. <laughs> good, good, good tip. <laughs> Any else? other tools? Any other tools or uh, things that are scary? Not tool related, but not as deep as what Bob was talking about is sometimes I don't know how people are going to react to my videos. I like the first time I made a CNC video, I was telling my wife, I'm like, this is not going to go over well. These people are, they're not going to like it. This isn't woodworking. And then it went over really well, like no negative comments. And everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. And, and I, I think I need to not be so quick to judge my viewers and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just not be afraid to try new things. I think that goes with a lot of things. Don't be afraid to try new things, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I haven't done as much leather work as I wanted to do. And, and Taylor, my girlfriend, is very good at leather work. And uh, so this Sunday we sat down and I actually made, I didn't Instagram it or anything, but I'll show you guys. And we maybe could put a picture. I made a leather wallet. Yes. And, yes. and, uh, of course, it's one thing- for the viewers, it says Debresta right on the top there. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I imprint them. Um, so one thing I'm, I'm always like, I always have intentions of doing leather work, but I keep like, I, I, I pull back and I'm like, nah, not feeling better at it. But then I'm afraid to even do it when I'm alone, you know, off camera. So that's something I'm going to try and do. Uh, I actually, I, I started a project about a year ago and part of it involved leather work. And when in my mind I had to like confront the leather work, I backed away and the client called me. He's a friend actually. He called me. He's like, Hey, whatever happened to those things you were going to make? And I didn't tell him, but in my mind, I was like, it's because I didn't want to confront the leather work. Hmm. And, but the other night, Taylor and I had a conversation about it. I said, Eric is back on board with this project and she's, she's going to handle it and I'm going to handle the hardware and together we're going to do it in the video. So look forward to that. I'm making a, a gun rack for my friend's gun collection. Nice. Uh, that's interesting that you guys bring that up about like changing the type of video that you have on your channel because I had I've had three conversations about that with three different people in the last two days. So I was in a, a Google Hangout last night. This guy that I don't know was doing a Hangout talking about YouTube videos, and there were people in there asking him questions. And one of the guys was saying, "I make guitars, and I make and I fix cars, and I make furniture, and I do all this different stuff, and I'm afraid to put it all." on a single YouTube channel because I don't want, um, you know, I don't want people to, to be scared away if they like guitars, but they don't like the car stuff or whatever the case may be. And I've had another guy that I'm not going to say who it is, but he does woodworking and he does off camera, does a ton of metal work and is a brilliant guy. And he's afraid to do metal work, um, on his Why? channel because, because people have come to expect woodworking. So he's afraid to, to do this, you know, um, and I've told him, I, I think that people would absolutely eat it up. They would love it, you know. But anyway, last night in this hangout, what I was telling the guy was that, I was trying to tell him from the comments, <clears throat> was that I think it's all about expectation. And so if you set the expectation of your audience that you make, I make wood stuff. If that's the expectation, yes, it's going to seem out of character if you do something that's very, very different. You know, if you all of a sudden put a, a gaming video on your channel. That's that's very different, you know, and that that breaks the expectation, that's going to catch them off guard. But if the if you set the expectation of I'm going to this is exactly what I do. I'm going to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a reason I called it that. <laughs> so the expectation is is the making, is is the production, is the process of things, not the thing. And I think that probably applies to a lot more of us of, of the people that make videos, then we realize that the people's expectation of us is that we're going to show them how to do something or we're going to show them how to make something. And what we make and how we make it is probably a little less important to them than, you know, seeing the material, the, the material or the process or, and, you know, whatever the case may be. So mm-hmm. I would say uh, if, you know, either one of you guys or anybody else listening is worried about that, you know, throwing off their audience by bringing in a new medium or a new, type of thing or whatever i would say try it it's my personal opinion but i agree it's well said i mean there are times where i have ideas and and i just i'm stalling on them because i'm like waiting for like the the good left turn that i could introduce into the to the video you know like i know like for instance i have to i started the video but i haven't gotten too far with this crisp bladed knife the knife that's wavy i've instagrammed a lot of pictures Mm. of it but i'm kind of stalled on exactly what the handle should be and I'm like, should it be some leather work? Should it be this? Should it be that? I had an intention to put it in a cane, which might still be the case, but then it's an odd looking cane because it's too wide. So I'm just trying to think of the right thing, you know? And so I'm like nervous I'm going to 
mess up what was started out as a really good video. It mm. looks great right up till now. And now I got to finish it. And I'm just, I'm like sort of a little intimidated to finish it, making sure I make the right decision. So I'm just stepping back and just waiting. It'll come to me. Do you think there is a right decision in something like that? I mean, it's, good question. it's, it's an artistry, right? Yeah, no, no, I know. I mean, I just want to make a decision that like. That you're happy with? That I'm happy with. Yeah, I mean, of course I'll do something that everyone's going to hate because it's not going to be traditional and it's going to be some odd method. (laughs) When I say everyone, I'm talking about my trolls. (laughs) Those five guys. (laughs) No, I, 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 go ahead, Dick. What what are you, what are you going to do to help you decide that? Are you going to set this blade next to different materials and do the the squinty eyed look at it to see what's going to work or are you just going to let it sit in your brain? It'll sit in my brain and then one day like I'll be driving and someone will walk in front of my car with like a pair of leather pants on with like a certain stitch and I'll say, ah, that's it. That's exactly how like these, you know, things come to me the least when I least expect it. I love that answer. Something. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, there's like this whole, like all these films are playing in the background in my mind. And, you know, when, when two things like when a plug goes into the right hole, boom, like I'm like, shoot, that's how I have to handle that. So yeah, no, you just, you just never know. You just always got to be like on the, always have that unconscious mind working in the background your yeah. subconscious unconscious mind is always exercised and working in the background remove those blocks so, and let those let, let those gears turn yeah yeah i uh just in getting back quick i i made this chisel video and i made the handle out of brass i i specifically did this because uh, you know a lot of my fans are like oh my god the chisel nerds are going to get upset with you you, you how dare you try and restore a chisel so <laughs> i googled chisel handle and I wanted to see what I've never saw a chisel handle made out of. And I just didn't see a chisel handle made out of brass, at least not in my search, not to say that it doesn't exist. So I made the chisel handle out of brass. So the chisel nerds are going to say it's too heavy. It's not going to work. It's going to shine in your eyes when you're trying to carve. And, uh, <laughs> so. Okay, so next you have to make a pair of sunglasses to stop it from shining. <laughs> chisel. Nice. And uh, yeah, so, so I don't know. On that note, be safe and always use tools at your comfort level. And Just think use, about what you're yeah. – when you approach a tool, just think about the cut that you're going to do. Don't just do it. Yeah, always be present. Like I said, if you can learn anything from my mistake when I cut my pinky, it's just always be present. Mm-hmm. I had too many things in my mind and I literally try to do something within five minutes. I'm like, oh, I have five minutes to do this. Let me try this. And I wasn't present. And Dave made a good point earlier. If you know somebody that actually already knows how to do something, knows how to use a new tool or a technique that you're not familiar with, you know, get somebody to show you firsthand because that's that's pretty valuable, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a good place to wrap it up for this episode. And um, I want to tell you guys before we go about some changes we made to our Patreon. Well, a few things. We got a couple announcements here. Okay. We made some changes to our Patreon page. We added some new rewards and uh, a goal, and the goal is for us to record this show weekly. So we'd like to be able to get there. We've gotten a lot of really awesome support there, and we really appreciate it. Um, if you guys want to continue to help us try to get to that goal, that would be great. Well, we added some new rewards, and it's actual stuff. We're going to make some Making It t-shirts, and the only way you can get these t-shirts is if you support us on Patreon at a certain level. So we're not going to be selling them. They're just for Patreon guys. And then also we have uh, at, a, at other levels where you can pick whether you get one of David's shirts, one of my shirts, one of Jimmy's hats, uh, some handmade stuff by all three of us. So we've added a lot of stuff there. Be sure to go to patreon.com slash making it. You can find out all the details and 
uh, all that stuff. The second thing is that we finally started a Twitter account, which is just at Making It Podcast. So you can follow us there, and we'll try to do some special stuff there that we're not doing on our individual Twitter accounts. But for this week, for the next episode, we want you to give us questions. We're going to kind of do like a lightning round, you know, answer yes. some questions in the next episode, really quick answers. And so pour as many questions at that Twitter handle as you can over the next two weeks, and we will bust out a bunch of answers. So um, also, fun. I want to thank Nicholas Gomez for his support on Patreon. He's like our top supporter. And Thanks, Nick. We really thank you, Nick. It. He's an awesome. Thank you guy. very much. So, before we go, where can we find out about everybody, Dave? You can find me at drunkenwoodworker.com. That has my blog, all my videos, and links to all my social media sites. Jimmy, uh, I'm going to push my Instagram because uh, it's been growing rapidly, and uh, I'm really feeding my Instagram pictures leading up to my videos. So, take a look for me, Jimmy DeResta, on uh, Instagram. Yeah, and all my stuff is at I like to make stuff.com. You can get to all the social media and stuff there. I also enjoy Instagram quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, check us all out. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much.